Everybody. It's good to see everybody this morning. Welcome to One Hope. It's good to see so many smiling faces. My name is Derek, and today we're going to be continuing on and completing our study that we've been doing through the book of First and Second Peter. This week we were going to be reading Second Peter chapter 3. We've also got a unique opportunity towards the end of the service. We're going to hear from Heather, and it's awesome to have her family with us. Welcome, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. Um, so, why am I teaching today? Anybody that's been around our church very long sees that we have different people teaching quite frequently, and um, sometimes that might you know, cause a question, why, why are we doing this? What, what is this about? Um, so, for One Hope Church people, who is our, who's our head pastor? Who's our lead pastor? Jesus. All right, somebody's been paying attention. That's what I like to hear. Um, for anybody that's the first time at our church, uh, we have a, a group of elders that we meet and we make decisions, but it is our desire that, a lot, that everybody get to the point where they can rightly divide the word of truth, be able to teach, and one of the reasons that we have different speakers frequently is we want to express that to people, that God speaks to you through his word, that you can, you can study and know his word, you can be able to teach others, um, and that's why we have an open time to try to model things that we've seen uh, in the, we see in the New Testament how the Christians encourage one another, one another with prayers and with teaching. That's why we do the things the way we do. It's not because it's easy, because you know what, it's not. You know, it's, it would be a lot easier to pay somebody full-time just to handle everything and then everybody else be hands-off. But what we want is we want for each of us to learn, to learn, to grow, to be able to teach others. We are God's mission. We are missionaries. We are missionaries to the world. Um, church is not, a, uh, is not a place where we come to, uh, to get. It's where we come to get and to give. It's both of those things. That's why I'm teaching this morning, um, not because I'm the most talented teacher, by no means, but the Lord has been gracious, and hopefully um, this morning as we look into his word, he will use the word, words of the Apostle Peter that we've had to help change our hearts and to focus us on Christ. Um, the Bible has been used for many, many years and has changed many hearts. Many people have repented. Many people have come from sin and into light. Many people have turned from evil ways just because of, of what we have in Scripture. Um, so we're going to study 2 Peter chapter 3. Let's start with a prayer before we get started. Lord, may our pattern of thought this morning conform to your instruction. Even this morning, may your truth overpower my presuppositions. Let my preferences bow before your throne. Lord, we want you to have the glory that you deserve. May each of us, each and every one, as David writes in Psalm 119, say in hearts that we, may, we, may we treasure your word in our hearts that we may not sin against you. Lord, I just pray that you would forgive me for my shortcomings, for my sin. Thank you that you've been so gracious with me. And I pray that you would exalt your name in, in our midst this morning. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. As we have studied to this point in Second Peter, the overarching objective that we see, um, we see Peter, Peter's warning followers of Christ about false teachers that are, that are in their midst. Um, Mr. Chet taught 
last week from chapter 2, which was full of warnings about such false teachers. In chapter 3, Peter reiterates this warning. Uh, he writes about many weighty things in this chapter. Um, he's going to, we're going to read today about the ultimate destruction of this physical world, the judgment to come. Peter will teach us how we should live in light of this truth. Uh, it is common knowledge um, that many, and I, I don't say this uh, to try to down brothers and sisters across the world, but it's common knowledge that a lot of seeker-sensitive churches um, tell their staff regularly not to use the word sin or judgment or those types of things on Sunday mornings. I've even read some books that, that say those types of things um, because it could be offensive or turn people away, and we want to bring people in and help, help change them gradually. But the reality is you know, we cannot experience the good news without there being a need for the good news. If Bill Gates... Um, goes out to his mailbox and finds $100 that somebody sent him. He's like, oh, great, you know, $100. It's pretty nice. Maybe I'll, I don't know. He probably made $100, you know, while he was, you know, he probably made thousands of dollars while he was sipping his coffee this morning, not doing anything just because of how his, <laughs> how his economy works. But, you know, if it's a, a poor person in a place where, in another part of the world where they, they live off of subsistence farming and their crops aren't here and it's been a, and it's been a drought, and man's trying to figure out how he's going to feed his family, somebody delivers to him $100 U.S., that might change everything. That might mean medicine for his kids. That might mean that they can buy food to survive until the crops come. You know, there, there's, you, know you have to have a need for good news for the good news to, to, be, to make a difference. Um, the, the underlying truth for the universe and for every one of us is that there is judgment coming. That, I mean, that's part of what, I mean, we see it all throughout Scripture. There's no, there's no skirting around it. That's why we have good news. That's why we teach Jesus. There's no reason to teach Jesus. We don't even need Jesus if there's not a judgment. But we have Jesus because there is a coming judgment, and he is paid for our sins. Similarly, you know, we read in Noah's time about, about judgment that happened on this earth, and it sounds so horrible, but we're going to see some parallels today. Um, in, chapter, in, in chapter 3 of Second Peter will give us insight into these truths. I want to read for us Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that also will he reap. Um, judgment is coming for all creation. We read about the eventual judgment and demise of the devil in Revelation 20. One day creation will stand before God and be judged. There will be a great white throne judgment for those who have not trusted in Christ. There will be an evaluation for those of faith before the Bama seat as we read in 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, for every person who has ever breathed the breath of life from God to that same God, to that same creator, we will have to give an account. Uh, and we see this borne out in Scripture. For everyone, there will either be... Well, there's one of two things. We see, we see two possible options, when, and we see this in parables, and we see this in all the writings. There's really two possible options. We see that there's either going to be mercy... Or there's going to be judgment and punishment. Those are only, there's not a, we don't see a C in Scripture. It's either A or B. Uh, and Scripture teaches no alternative, alternative. Our Maker knows the thoughts and intents of the human heart. And just praise God that He sent His Son for us that we have hope. Uh, how many times have we seen or heard something like on the news and you see somebody said, or, or you hear something and you say, man, that's just not right. That is unjust. Or you hear something that just makes your stomach turn because you're like, how can that happen? How, what in the world? Um, we have that experience. We're fallen beings. You know, God is not a fallen being. He is perfect, and he sees all injustice. He sees all sin. He sees everything that is a front to himself. 
And ultimately, he's the one that's going to right the wrongs. And we talk about God as love, but he is justice. He's going to make things right. God is not mocked, as we, as we read in Galatians 6, 7. Um, Rudolf Bultmann, anybody's probably well known to uh, theological students, set out uh, um, some time back to make, uh, it was really his life effort to, quote-unquote, demythologize uh, excuse me, the New Testament. I'm going to quote him. He, he concluded in, some of the, in one of his writings that among the mythical elements in the New Testament, which we must reinterpret, uh, and they're no long, therefore no t- longer take literally, are the following. Heaven, hell, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Christ, and the future day of judgment. And Boltman also claims to find support for his views in the writings of Paul, which is kind of strange. Paul, he admits, gives teachings about apocalyptic future events, like the second coming and the final judgment, but he says, this is mythical eschatology, so Paul must be demythologized. It's just a strange, strange, uh, strange idea. We see... Adolf von Harnack, C.H. Dodd, Jürgen Moltmann. I, read a, I was reading all these different things from all these different theologians. It is endless. And these are folks that teach in theological seminaries around the world, write volumes and volumes. Um, the list of modern theologians that deny the second coming of Christ as taught in Scripture is just, is, is just, fat, it's just startling. Um, these are not who we would say are people from the outside. These are people that go to church every Sunday. These are people that would be from inside the camp of the quote-unquote church. They call themselves Christians. Um, they are, Peter warns, you know, we've been reading. That's what we've been reading about is all in chapter 2 was warnings about false teachers. And we should heed this warning because wolves in sheep clothing are real. You know, they're not fairy tale. They're not you know, people with red eyes that walk around, oh, there's, there's, you know, there's one of those false teachers. These are people that twist scripture for their own, uh, for their own uh, benefit, or for what feels good. You know, seminaries all over the world are filled with these books, but it's important for us to recognize um, that just as Paul, excuse me, as Peter was teaching, um, that there are going to be false teachers. We have that same problem even now. This isn't something foreign. We're not reading back and saying, "Well, it's so different for them." I mean, it's, it's different. Construct and, and we see different things in our day and time, but it's definitely something that we're still dealing with even 2,000 years later. Now we continue uh, to the climactic part of this book. Chapters 1 and 2 were very intense, uh, but let's continue and read Peter's letter in chapter 3. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Verse 1. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and earth, which are now, preser- are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing. That with God, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, 
but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for the hastening and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens were dissolved? being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also your beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of, of these things, and which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do with the rest of scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen. May the Holy Spirit guide our hearts and minds as we study his word. Verse 1. Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle, in, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. He starts with the word beloved, which is a perfect tense um, Word we see in the Greek. It's often used by by uh, by God the Father, referring to Christ. You know, Peter loves his brothers and sisters. We see "beloved" used a number of times in this section. It's it's um, very an emotional, warm type of writing that he's giving um, to the church. Um, Peter loves his brothers and sisters, but what's more important, Peter recognizes that these people are loved by their heavenly Father. This should be you know our perspective when we're dealing with Christians. We shouldn't be people that are harsh that are that are rough on people. You know, remember this next time you have a, an issue with somebody else, especially somebody that's a believer. You know, it's like, man, that's sorry, so-and-so did such and such and such and such. And that guy that Jesus loves and died for and is pretty much equal with me and I have my own faults. We need to remember um, that each one of us are loved by God and that should be the lens through which we view people, not how we emotionally feel about them, but how God feels about them. Uh, that's the type of... Uh, the, the, that's the type of mindset we should have, and I believe the type of mindset Peter's writing with here. But, we are, but he's trying to stir these people up by way of reminder. He's, he references Scripture here in verse 2. Uh, if we look at Scripture, you know, we look at Deuteronomy and we look at Psalms, we see that God's people are often called to remember. They're called to remember the things that God has done, remember um, the things that God has said. But we always see the opposite when we're talking about humans addressing the Lord. We ask God to forget, you know, remove the stain of my sin. The good news is for us that as far as the east is from the west, he has removed our sins and has remembered them no more. We remember the good things that he does. He forgets the bad things we do. What a, you know, what an awesome relationship. Um, but that's good news for those of us of faith. First John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Peter says, All right, loved ones, I'm trying to stir up you for uh, your minds to remember, verse 2, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets 
and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Peter, who's writing here, is, a, is an apostle. And um, we see in the Old Testament, prophets wrote scripture. Even Moses, though we don't generally refer to him as a prophet, in, script, in the Bible is referred to as a prophet because he wrote a good section of scripture. So um, um, now we see in the New Testament, scripture is being penned by the apostles, those who were taught by Christ. It is Peter's stated intention that this letter he is writing will stir up the pure minds uh, and the faith of these faithful readers to remember the truths of the Old Testament, the truths that they've heard about in the Gospels, the truths that they've heard from the apostles about Christ, and why. For verse 3, knowing this first, that scofflers will come in the last days. You've got to know the apostles, you've got to know the teaching of the, uh, of the prophets, because scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts. Now, the last days really began when Jesus left. We see them talking about the last days in the first century. We're still talking about the last days. Now, um, these scoffers are present even in, even in Peter's day. We see, as we've already observed and read about in chapters 1 and 2. And today, we have scoffers too. They would say things like, you, know, you don't actually think an ancient book about a guy that lived 2,000 years ago you know, has the answers to life in the universe. Is, you really think that? That might be something we hear, we hear now. In verse 4, what they were saying at that time is, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So in Peter's days, they're saying, He's not coming back. you kidding me? Well, in fact, my cousin saw him hanging on a cross. We saw him die not that long ago. He's not coming back. Come on. Are you telling me that this world's going to pass away? Give me a break. That's what they're saying in Peter's day. Uh, in our day, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus walked on the earth. Are you telling me he's going to come now? You're telling me that's going to change now? We've been waiting this long and something's going to change? We have to demystify these types of writings. That's, this, just can't, this can't be. That's uh, the scoffers we hear in our day. When he says fathers here, for since our fathers were asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. The fathers here is, is going to be talking about G- Jewish forefathers. He's talking about the patriarchs of the Old Testament. Um, you know, these allegations are being made by men that believe that God exists, uh, but that he's not active. He must be on vacation or something. This is really a deistic mindset. You know, yeah, we believe there's a God, but he's, everything's been going on the same. Nothing's going to change. Come on. Verse 5 and 6. For this they willfully forget, but that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed, perished, being flooded with water. I mean, you forget, God made the world, and he's already judged it once, before, the, before your fathers. It's going to happen. It's not like this is something that's just out of the realm of possibility that's never going to happen again. You know, even if you, even if for those that don't believe um, in any type of religion, the, the, the earth has an end point. You know, of course, it's going to be a long time down the road. The sun will eventually burn out. There may be a nova. I don't know what it's going to be, but eventually at some point, there's, nothing, there's not going to be anything on this earth. Even, you know, even if you're from the idea that there is no God. Um, all right, but we know that uh, we know some of how history is going to shape up, that Christ is coming back before that's going to happen. Um, these people willfully forget that before the patriarchs that God judged and punished evil men right here. And willfully is correct in the translation. It's something that they're, they're forgetting purposely. These people to whom Peter is referring are willfully ignorant, and Peter really meets their allegations head on. And it says by the word of God, talking about we know that God created the world. The word of God is kind of a bit of a technical term. We see in Genesis that God spoke 
the universe into existence. In Revelation 19.15, we read that Jesus will return with a flaming sword coming out of his mouth. It says, uh, quote, From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with the rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And this, this flaming sword is a picture of the word of God. And if you think about it, it's just an amazing, amazing two sides to the word of God. We have the word of God um, that's used in creation, the word of God that's going to bring devastation and judgment on us by the word of God. It's just, it's just hard. You know, when you think about it, there's nothing more powerful, beautiful, and just terrifying than the word of God. You see a, a beautiful picture of a sunset over the sea. You see dew dripping off a lily. Those things were thought and spoken. I mean, they exist because of the word of God. That's why they're here. Um, the, and also, when you see all evil, you see all the just horrible things that are that just make you angry, those things are going to be decimated simply by the word of God. And it's going to be terrifying. It's just interesting to think of both sides. We see Isaiah fifty-five eleven. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. When God says something, it, it happens. Uh, the generation that was on earth at the time of the great flood uh, really thought the same way. We see in Scripture that Noah preached for 120 years. Like, come on, nothing's. we've been here for a while. Our parents have been here for a while. You're telling me that God is going to bring water from the sky and this boat's going to float up, and everybody's going to die unless we repent. And Noah preached that for 120 years, and nobody listened. Um, that's just, uh, you know, they had the same mindset that people have now. Like, so that's kind of, that's a little hard to believe. That's, there's no way that's going to happen, right? There, there's just no way. Sadly, in Noah's day, they were wrong. And sadly, many are going to be wrong today. Verse 7, But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. You know, verse 7 speaks of judgment for ungodly men. Personal creation will stand before a personal creator. Reserved for fire is an interesting word. I'm thinking about fire. How can fire burn up you know, everything? I mean, just scientifically, how does it happen? Um, it's the fate of the earth and, and the heavens of ungodly men is this fire. We don't really know exactly what it is. It could be a, some sort of metaphor. That's the best way to describe this astrophysical phenomenon that God's going to unleash. Um, it might be real fire. Who knows? But, um, but don't wait until you see that fire before you trust God because at that point it's too late. Um, the time is coming. The time is coming for this fire. The time is coming for this judgment. But when is it coming? Verse 8. But beloved... Do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. This is a quote from Psalms, and Peter affirms the truth of the statement. He gives, gives us really insight into the nature of God. He could have already come back. Why hasn't he come back? Uh, well, the, God doesn't work in time like we work in time. Uh, the past, the present, the future... They're all the eternal present for God. He can operate outside of time, which is a little bit mind-blowing. But you and me, are, we're caught in this time-space continuum. You know, God's bigger than that. We cannot op- operate outside of the confines of time, but God clearly does. A thousand years is a day, and a day is a thousand years. You know, it's always, it's, it's always been difficult for believers, and even for myself. We look at verses in Scripture um, indicating that Christ's coming is imminent. We see that even with 
first century believers. They're ready for the skies to open and Jesus to come back. And we see other scriptures that talk about all these things that have to happen bef- and before the end comes. So it's kind of weird. It's like it's imminent, but then these things have to happen. And, it's, um, and so I know some people that are like that wait for, you know, are keeping their eye for every last thing that they see in scripture that could be interpreted a certain way. There's some people that think we've totally missed the boat because if you read scripture, you know, it can't, Christ must have come back a long time ago. Um, but we need, to, we need to use sound mind when we're thinking about these things. Um, we see scriptures that the end will come not until certain things come to pass, such as the son of perdition, the man of lawlessness that we read about in Second Thessalonians 2. We see scripture says that the Christ must be tr- preached to all peoples before he comes. Some would, uh, you know, so we have this, this strange tug and pull, yet some scriptures make it seem like, um, like, like, for the, in, in Christ's time that it was going to be right then. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting to look. Some people think that some of the uh, scripture wasn't written to later in the apostles' lives because they were ready for Christ to come. don't know if that's true or not, but some people think that might be some of the reason that they waited for, for some years to write those scriptures. Uh, so how do we reconcile you know, this tension? Well, if God operates outside of, him, outside of time, to him a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day, then Jesus was on earth like two days ago, which is not that long ago. Um, there, in one sense, it has been a long time since Christ's resurrection and ascension. And another time, in another sense, you know, it really has been no time at all. You know, as a side note, there are many views on the order and the nature of the events and the timeline of the last days. We, you know, we talk about the rapture, Christ's return, the great tribulation, uh, the thousand-year reign of Christ. There's a whole lot of eschatological events that we see in Scripture. Um, it is important that we study Scripture, recognize the sign of the times, uh, recognize the end times for what they are. Um, and there's also better views and a lot worse views. And if you want to talk about those, come. We'll, we'll have chats later. I don't have time to go into all of those this morning. But however, the sad truth of the matter is there's many Christians that will fight and tear each other down over differing opinions, on, even small opinions on what things that are going to happen. And the truth is that only God knows the future. Uh, he has given us insight through the scripture so we're not lost and we're not completely wandering, we're not wandering in the dark, but we still only see through a glass darkly. To quote Jesus in Mark thirteen thirty two, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And remember for him, a thousand years is but a day. That takes us into verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, uh, is this promise that there is a coming judgment, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Uh, this Lord is God the Father, obviously, that knows when he will come. What an insight to, to the, the love and the nature of God, uh, that though many people mock him, you know, many are going to and have rejected him, but he still desires all to be saved. And the reason that the Lord tarries, the stated reason right here why he tarries, is because he wants people to come to know him. He wants people to respond in faith to his son. His desire is for repentance and for restoration. Amen. Now, what is repentance? He, he wants people to come to, to repentance. Repentance is turning from sin and turning to self, leading to faith. Understanding, like, I can't, I know that I'm wrong, I know that I'm sinful. I can't go, this path that I'm going is a path to destruction because I have not trusted in Christ. I've been trusting in myself. I've been living however I want to, but I recognize that there is truth, that God is truth, Christ is his son, 
and uh, repent, be, uh, repentance is being sorry for the things they've done and turning and looking towards Christ in faith. Verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So the day of the Lord. What is, what is the day of the Lord? Um, we see the day of the Lord referenced in books of Amos, Joel, Isaiah, Obadiah, Zechariah, Malachi. In each of the cases that we see, it, the day of the Lord is described as a day of darkness and destruction. Uh, Malachi 4, 1 through 2. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. And all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming, uh, they shall be burned up, says the Lord of hosts. And will leave uh, them neither root nor branch. But to, to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. And we see verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And we see in the New Testament that that is John the Baptist leading to Christ and the good news that we have. So the day of the Lord is judgment, is a day of judgment and accounting. And Peter assures us that this day will come, as he says in verse 10, it's coming. Um, It's not going to be the day of the Lord like a 24-hour, like it's going to be the worst day of your life and it was only 24 hours. We see in Scripture that a number of things happen on the day of the Lord. Um, so it might be a thousand years. It's a thousand years as, as a day. It could be longer than that. We we don't know. Um, but there's a lot of things that are going to happen. Um, and how is this day of the Lord coming? It's going to come, as he says in verse ten, like a thief. How does a thief come? Um, if it says it's coming like a thief in the night, well, a thief generally doesn't. You know, uh, what's the main characteristic of a thief is he doesn't really announce his arrival. He's going surprise. Thief here, you know. Uh, they, don't, they don't say, I'm going to be at your house 1 o'clock in the morning on the night of such and such. Uh, no, thieves come when they are unexpected. Um, I'm sure, the Boyds, I'm sure, have here uh, an alarm system. Why? To be prepared for the possibility of a thief. The only thing that you can do when you think there's a threat of a thief coming is prepare. That's the only thing you can do. Um, if, you are, if you have no alarm system, no weapon, no phone, Nothing, and a thief comes and breaks down your door, and he is armed. You are completely helpless. That's how Christ is coming. Christ is coming like a thief. He's not going to announce it. It's going to be like a thief in the night. So, what do we what do we do in light of that? We must be prepared. We must be prepared. Christ could come five thousand years from now, seven God days. Wouldn't that be Wouldn't that be something? He could come. We might be the last people that we see of each other in this world. We might walk out of the door the day the Lord comes. We don't know. We don't know when it's coming. But what we, we can do is we can be ready. Uh, Peter states that heaven, the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The heavens most likely means the universe. There was not another term um, at this time for universe. But the heavens are going to pass away with a great noise. You think the Big Bang was loud. Uh, the universe will cease to exist. That's a crazy thought. When that day comes, time and space will have a different definition for us. I mean, it's, it's, it's just absolutely mind-blowing to think of this. Not, I mean, the heavens and the earth will pass away? <laughs> that's, and that is, that's just wild. That is very sci-fi sounding um, because we're going to have to exist in a different realm altogether in some alternate dimension. As that sounds weird, but that's what's going to happen. The heavens and the earth are going to pass away. We have the promise of a new heaven and a new earth. 
Um, but that is, the, that is reality for us. And we understand from Revelation that, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Um, and, it will be an, and it will be a universe that is not fallen like this one is. Verse 11, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought to you be in holy conduct and godliness? That's a good question. Since, you know, everything's going to be gone, everything we're seeing, these walls are going to be here for a time, but they're not going to be here. Beautiful sky we have, beautiful stars, they're here for a time, but eventually they're not going to be here. Everything that we do is we enjoy family, we enjoy all these other things, but eventually all this is gone. So how do we, what, do we, what do we do? What do we do in light of that knowledge? In light of that knowledge, verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Peter tells us that we are to act godly, looking forward to Christ, and that we can speed his return. Is that what it says, huh? Is Peter saying that by godly living we can hasten the return of Christ? Yes, that's what, that's what Peter's saying. Um, Matthew 20, 24, 14, and, the, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. James five sixteen: the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Yes, sincere fervent prayer make a difference. God's mind can be changed. We see often in scripture where people, God says he's going to do something, people pray, and God changes his timeline or when he does stuff. God has done that throughout history. And um, so it's interesting that people try to pick a particular point in time, this day at this time, which, you know, but also that can <laughs> realistically that can change. Maybe God's waiting for you to tell your next-door neighbor. <laughs> I don't know. God, God alone knows his mind. God alone knows the day and the hour that's coming. But we can live righteously. We can affect the world that we're in around us. We can affect Athens. We can affect our friends. We can affect our family members. Um, by the way that we act, and by the way we conduct ourselves. It's funny, too, James 5.16, it's way off the subject, but I've got I've to go there anyway. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I heard, a, I heard a great joke one time about this old lady that found, it out, found out that she had a, a really bad condition and needed a surgery that was very risky. And um, so she got on the prayer chain, called everybody in her church, called her family members' churches, called everybody in this small town, all the churches there. And somebody asked her, you know, did you do this so there'd be more people praying for you, have a better chance? Is that why? She said, no, James 5.16 says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And I figured if I, uh, you know, call enough churches, I'm at least find one righteous man, <laughs> which, yeah, a sad commentary on, um, on, on the state of uh, men, but that might be a, she might have been wise. Verse 13, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Again, this is a non-cursed earth, a non-cursed universe. Matthew 6.10, we read the prayer of Christ, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One day that's going to be a reality, that uh, God's will will be done everywhere. We should never be comfortable in this world. You know, it's not our home. I think all of us that know Christ and have experienced his change in our lives, we all know what it's like to be homesick for a place that's not here. Verse 14, Therefore, beloved, look forward to these things. Be diligent to be found by peace in him without spot and blameless. Uh, We see this term, beloved, again, you know, um, 
And he says, be diligent to be found by peace in him. The word is make every effort, diligent. There, take, there, there takes effort. It's not for salvation, uh, but to be found blameless as we serve Christ. Uh, without moral defect, is without uh, the word here for spotless and blameless. It harkens back to the sacrificial system where animals that were required under the old covenant for sacrifice uh, had to be without spot, without blemish. Our lives are to be laid down for Christ. Uh, we should strive to be blameless. We shouldn't be hopeless about sin. You know, I love Jesus, and I've been a Christian for a long time, and he's sinned. You know, you know that's, that's not acceptable for us. We need to be, be, uh, we need to be striving uh, to be blameless, not to earn anything. Our salvation's paid for. There's not a difference we can make about that. Um, but we can affect those around us, and we can try to, uh, we can try to live as, uh, as our Lord desires. Verse 15. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. Uh, so we see uh, God's waiting. He's, he's restating it. The fact that God is waiting and hasn't come yet and is tearing, that means salvation for people. Um, and, and we see him referencing Paul, and he says, Beloved brother, which is good to hear because in Galatians 2, 11 through 14, we see that Paul publicly rebuked Peter. However, um, this did not sever their love and respect for one another. Uh, if anything, it must have brought them closer. So that's encouraging to see them getting along. Verse 16, still referencing Paul, as also in all of his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist for their own destruction as they do with the rest of Scripture. So we've already seen, we've already referenced many times how people then and people now twist Scripture. And, uh, and Peter is saying that Paul's letters are hard to stand, understand and people are twisting those as they do with the rest of Scripture. He is explicitly calling these epistles, these letters from Paul, Scripture. Um, that's huge for us, for the, Apostle, for the Apostle Peter to be calling Paul's writing Scripture. We can, we can trust that uh, these writings are trustworthy for us. Uh, and when I was looking through these things and I was looking at these verses, I saw a YouTube link popped up for a teacher that was saying, that you know, Paul is, was not actually an apostle, and all of the stuff he said is actually junk, and you can't trust it. He did believe that Peter was an apostle, and he was going through this, this uh, going through Second uh, Peter, and showing how this section of verse three must have been added later, and and there was no evidence whatsoever. It was just like because you know because we know Peter's not right. So it's interesting just to just online researching this, seeing false teachers twisting, yeah, twisting. Uh, the gospel and uh, twisting scripture for their own for their own uses. It's just really odd. Um, you know, Satan quoted scripture to Jesus when Christ was tempted in the wilderness, and scripture can be used to entice people to sin. It can be used for destructive purposes when it's not handled correctly. Um, and then we kind of come into this conclusion here with verse seventeen. You therefore, beloved. Since you know this beforehand, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away by the error of the wicked. And again, he uses the word beloved in this warm and loving style that he's writing to his, uh, to his brothers and sisters. You know, a lot of church people have been led away with the error of the wicked. You know, we see it all too often. We see it all too often. Anybody that twists scripture um, to make you 
think that, uh, I don't know. It, it, twi- scripture can be twisted in so many different ways, it, it's just mind-boggling. Um, beware. That's what we can do. We can be beware so we don't fall into these schemes. And that's what Peter's encouraging believers to do. Verse 18, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. The word grow here is, uh, is a continual verb. Uh, continually growing. It's a present imperative. Uh, there are many pastors and many teachers in our world today uh, if we like a teacher because they agree with us, it's not generally a good reason to like them. We need to know the scriptures. That's what we need to know. Because many people, many false teachers twist the truth. Uh, and that's how we can be ready is by knowing scripture. We must evaluate all teaching. You must evaluate my teaching by the standard of scripture. Any teacher who undermines scripture, he has no right to be heard. If somebody's undermining scripture, Run. Somebody says, well, we hear all these stories in this part, but this, you know, that can't be right, just because that doesn't make sense. You've got you to run if you hear that. <clears throat> if Peter, Paul, and the prophets uh, you know, are, are compromised in anybody's te- teaching, just don't, don't listen to those types of people. We need to be ready. I want to uh, read a, a poem f- for you. It's uh, one of my favorite poems I ran across, I don't know, like high school or something like that. Um, it's about a king and about a jester in the king's court. It's called The Fool's Prayer. It's written by Edward Roland Sill. The royal feast was done. The king sought some new sport to banish care. And to his jester cried, Sir fool, kneel down and make for us a prayer. The jester doffed his cap and bells and stood the mocking court before they could not see the bitter smile behind the painted grin he wore. He bowed his head and bent his knee upon the monarch's silken stool. His pleading voice arose, O oh Lord, be merciful to me, a fool. No pity, Lord, could change the heart from red as wrong to white as wool. The rod must heal the sin, but Lord, be merciful to me, a fool. Tis not, the guilty, uh, tis not by guilt the onward uh, sweep of trust and right, O oh Lord, we stay. Tis by our follies that so long we hold the heaven, the earth from heaven away. These clumsy feet still in the mire go crushing blossoms without end. These hard, well-meaning hands we thrust among the heartstrings of a friend. The ill-timed truth we might have kept, who knows how sharp it pierced and stung. The word we had no sense to say, who knows how grandly it had rung. Our faults no tenderness should ask, the chastening stripes must cleanse them all. But for our blunders, oh, in shame, before the eyes of heaven we fall. Earth bears no balm for mistakes. Men crown the knave and scourge the tool that did his will. But thou, O Lord, be merciful to me, a fool. The king was hushed and silence rose. The king and sought the garden's cool and and walked apart and murmured low, be merciful to me, a fool. And, um, you know, this... This guy doesn't have all of his soteriology right, and we don't, uh, we're not pointing to Christ necessarily in the poem. But it's interesting to see a poem about a guy that has everything that he wants. He's comfortable. He mocks uh, holy things. And he's not, he's not looking at the fact that there is a coming judgment. And he hears the prayer of this uh, poor jester asking for forgiveness for the things that he's done. And this king knows 
in his heart that he is he's sinful. He knows it. And I think that's the state of a lot of people today. We're not looking for judgment because things are going pretty good right now. Things are pretty comfortable. Um, and so it's hard to even think in terms of these end times and these things that, are, that just seem, you know, like, we seem uh, like the people in those age. Things are going smoothly. Yeah, maybe it's going to come, but probably not in my lifetime. We're not, they're not looking for it. But the fact is, for everybody that's on this earth, there's going to be an accounting. So what, what do we do with all this? You know, we see that judgment is coming. We see that there are many false teachers. There have been, there are, there are going to continue to be. We see that the Lord desires salvation for all. That there is a final end and a very final end to, to time. Uh, let's be ready. Let's, uh, as Peter encourages us, let's live Christ-centered lives and be excited to tell people the good news about Christ. Jesus is the answer. What do we do with all this? Run, run to Jesus and follow Jesus, the one who paid for our sins already. He bore the wrath reserved for me. He bore the wrath reserved for me. That's what we do with this. The answer is Jesus. You know, if there's ever a problem in your life, answer is Jesus. I had a professor in, in, in college in a, in a theology class, and um, there would be some very tricky things. If you could, if he asked a, an essay question and somehow you pointed it to Jesus, he would give you some sort of credit. It might be one out of fifteen, but the the answer to any problem that you have ultimately is Jesus. The answer to the hole in your heart ultimately is Jesus. Why am I not happy? I've I've wanted to, you know, get this career, marry this type of person, have this type of family, have this type of money, have these type of clothes. Why I've got everything I want. Why am I not happy? Because there's still a hole that needs to be filled. And um, Jesus is the one that fills that hole. And for those that know that they're sinners, we have, we're a little bit different. There's other cultures when we talk about Mexico. There's a lot of people there that they think they're going to hell. You ask them, where, where are you going to go when you die? Hell. I've been pretty bad. <laughs> they know, but they don't know the answer uh, the, uh, of the gift that we have in Christ. The good news is that with all of these, all these things that sound weighty and heavy and, and scary, there is good news in all this, that there is salvation, that there is a God that sent his son for us, that even today, if we're lost, if, we, if we're lost, if we have you know, no hope of, of future, we, we, can't, we, can't see, we can't see a happy life from here because we know our junk. There is a hope, there is a promise of something better eternally and something better now, and that's Jesus. It makes a difference in your life. It makes a difference now. It makes a difference for eternity. You won't have to bear, bear the weight of your sin. He will take it from you. So even this morning, you know, if you've not accepted Christ, you've heard these things before. Maybe you've heard these things from the time you were a kid. Maybe you went to Sunday school. You've heard this a million times, a million times and a half. It's still as true as it ever was. There's still a judgment coming. You're going to have to give an account. I'm going to have to give an account. Um, but at the same time, there's a God that loves us so much that he sent his own son and gave us a roadmap. He, he's not, we're not flying blind here. We know the answers. So maybe even this morning you can feel a tug at your heart. And this, this morning, maybe the day of salvation for you. If you've not accepted Christ, just open your heart. Say, Lord, make yourself real to me this morning. Jesus, make yourself real to me. And Jesus will fill that hole. Put your faith in him. Put your faith in him. We're going to move into the open time.
And this time we're going to sing songs. Uh, we're going to break bread. We're going to take of the cup and celebrate the awesome things that God has done for us. We're going to celebrate the fact that, uh, that Christ gave his life, uh, that he was obedient to his Father even to death, so that our sins, will be, that our sins are paid for. The wrath that's reserved for us, this, that's reserved for the world, has been paid. Uh, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're going to celebrate that this morning, the good news that we have. Uh, in this time, uh, if you want to request a song, please do. If you have something on your heart uh, that you want to share, please do. If there's a prayer you want to pray out loud, please do. Um, if you want to teach something from Scripture um, that's some sort of authoritative teaching, we just ask that you know who we are and that we know who you are so that we're on the same page. Um, and in this time, um, let's, uh, let's remember Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you. We thank you for the truth that we find in Scripture. As hard as it is to understand, as hard as it is um, sometimes to accept, we thank you that we can put our trust in it and we can put our trust in you because you never fail. We thank you that you love us so much and that you love people in general so much that even when they spit in your face and and deny you and, and, and laugh at you, you still love, you still desire to draw people to yourself. Pray that you would even draw people to yourself this morning in this room. Pray that for those of us that know you and go out this week to school, to the workplace, um, to, to, what, to, whoever, to our families, Lord, I pray that you would call the people around us to you and that you would use us uh, as influences for your kingdom. We thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much for your goodness and that, that you're always faithful. We thank you that you've removed our sins as far as the east is from the west for those of us that believe in you. We thank you that we get to expend eternity in your presence. And we get, we get to have joy, some sort of joy that we haven't even experienced. We might have had a glimpse in this life, but we don't even know the joy that's coming uh, in a perfect place, in perfect harmony with you. So we give you thanks for these things. Pray that uh, during this open time that our minds and our hearts would be fixed on you, that everything else in this world would just kind of fade away. All of our other cares, all of our other desires, all of our other worries, we know that that's, that all that stuff is temporary, Lord. May it, be, may it go to the side this morning.